0: Good morning, guys. Have you guys had a good weekend? I've had a uh, a great time getting to to hang out with you guys, getting to open up God's Word with you, getting to enjoy the snow. Um, what a what a treat to have like a. A good amount of snow to see it so beautiful when it's falling, but not so much that the drive home is going to be a harrowing experience. So that is that is great. That's the perfect amount of snow that you want at winter camp. So I, I hope you guys in, have enjoyed that. Um, so this morning, we're going to finish our time in Ecclesiastes, finish our time looking at um, Solomon's musings on life under the sun. Um, and and I, I'm glad that we were able to walk through some of this this weekend. Now, we're not going to be able to do the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've caught on to that by now because uh, it's Sunday morning and we've gone through about two of 12 chapters. Um, so we're going to skip over like the next 10 and we'll finish up just in chapter 12 this morning. It's not because those chapters aren't important, um, but it's because what Solomon does in them, what, what the book of Ecclesiastes does, is it continues to draw out the same things that we've already been talking about. This idea of, of life under the sun versus life in the spirit. And, and, and the vanity of one and the, the value of one of the other, and, and I, I was so glad that we that we got to do this theme this winter. I was, I was so glad um, when when I talked to uh, to Harry and, and Anna and, and Mikey and a few others about the, this winter theme that they, they they had chosen to go with Ecclesiastes because I feel like it's such such a, a pertinent, uh, important. Um, book in the Bible that maybe many of you guys have never really looked at before, never really studied before, because it can be hard to kind of wrap our brains around what's actually being said, what's the actual argument here, but I feel like it's so important and for everyone, but especially for for people your age, especially for high schoolers, right, because you're in this, this season of life where you're transitioning out of childhood and into adulthood, right, so between high school and college, like that's really when you go from being a, a kid to being an adult, and you have to answer all kinds of questions. What am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to live? What, what kind of uh, career am I going to pursue? Who am I going to be? And chief among those questions right, is, what is this all for? What's it all about? Kids don't ask existential questions. My six-year-old and my three-year-old don't ask questions about the meaning of their existence. They, they do ask a lot of questions. Um, they ask a lot of whys, uh, and sometimes there's no real answer to the whys, and it just drives you a little bit crazy, but... But they don't ask those big self-reflective, introspective questions. Why am I here? What am I doing? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? What is this life all about? But you guys do. High schoolers do, adults do, but you've, you've just started really, truly, earnestly asking those questions and that's why it's so great that we could spend this weekend looking at the answer. The answer, the only real, true, satisfying answer to that question of why am I here? What is my purpose? What was I made for? And so throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the question that Solomon answers. That's the question that he, that he thinks on and ponders on and meditates and kind of chews up and digests and At the end of Ecclesiastes, what we see is Solomon's very clear, very concise answer to that big, big question. And his answer comes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The very end of the book, after 12 chapters, of pondering this question of purpose, this question of meaning under the sun, this question of meaning in this life here and now, this is what he says in verse 13 of chapter 12. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go into what all of that means for us. Dear God, we thank you that purpose and that meaning is something that we can know for sure. We thank you for the words of Solomon. God, I pray that this morning as we talk about what it means to fear you and to obey your commandments, I pray that you would... Help us to do both of those things more deeply, more truly, more purely, more consistently that we might have purpose and meaning not just in the life to come with you in heaven but in the here and the now that we'd have meaning in our lives today and all the days that we walk on this earth. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, to fear God and to keep His commandments, this is the whole duty of man. The entire job, the entire purpose, the entire point, the entire function of mankind is this two things fear God and keep His commandments. Now, what does that mean for us practically, right? We've talked about this concept all weekend, this idea that we were made by God, for him and through him and to him, that our purpose is found in him and him alone. We've talked about all these other things where we seek to find purpose, right? And it's a long, long list from inherently sinful and wicked things to good things that we simply elevate to a place of idolatry And they become sin for us because we're seeking our purpose in those things. So if our whole purpose is to fear God and to obey his commandments, then what does that mean for our lives practically? Does that mean that every one of you in here, you need to change your whole life plan your whole life goal is you've thought about where you're going to go to college and, and what you're going to do, what you're going to get a degree in, where you're going to live and uh, what you're going to do for, for work or, or family or whatever. You need to throw all of that out the window and you need to go, no, fear, I need to fear God and I need to obey his commandments and that means I need to go into full-time ministry. Is that what it means? No. No, you know, for some of you, maybe, maybe it does mean that. In the sense that for some of you, maybe there is a a call to full-time ministry, but absolutely not all of you. To fear God and to obey his commandments doesn't mean that, but it does mean that no matter what you do in your life, no matter where you go, no matter what you pursue, no matter what you spend your, your time on, your purpose in this life is the same. Whether you... Grow up to become an elementary school teacher or a graphic designer or a football player or um, a computer engineer or a YouTuber, whatever it is, whatever you end up doing, your purpose in life is the same. It is to bring glory to God by fearing him and by keeping his commandments. So what this means for us is that all of us should go from a place where we say, hey, football is my life. My my grades are the, the most important thing about me. They're where I find my meaning, my purpose. We can go from that to say, no, I love this thing. I want to work hard at it. But my purpose and my meaning is found in God alone. I love this thing. I want to work hard at it. I want to be good at it. I want to glorify God in the way that I approach it. But ultimately, my life is about fearing God and obeying his commandments over and above absolutely everything else. See, that's the life we were made for a life of fearing God and keeping his commandments in every area and every facet of our lives. It's going to look different for every one of us as God's wired us in different ways. But those two things are true for every human being who've ever, who's ever walked the face of this earth. What's translated there in, in my translation when it says fear God and keep his commandments, I'm in the ESV, it says... For this is the whole duty of man. That This is the whole duty of man might also be translated as this is for all of mankind. It's our entire job. It's our entire duty. But it's also the job for absolutely every man, woman, and child who's ever walked the face of the earth. Their job, regardless of what their life looks like, regardless of where they're born and where they live and where they die, regardless of any of those things. Their job is the same, it is to fear God and to obey his commandments. So how do we do that? What does that actually look like? What does it even mean? Well, let's start with talking about the fear of God. We talked about it briefly on Friday night, if you you remember, Um, but I want to spend a little more time just talking about what the fear of God actually is, because I feel like so often we get this twisted and we get it wrong. And the fear of God is not fearing God the way that we fear a scary movie, right? My wife, um, she is a, I love her. She's a weirdo, um, and she loves scary movies, and I do not understand it, okay? I don't get scary movies. I don't understand scary movies. I, like, have nightmares if I see a scary movie trailer, Right? Like, I hate like, watching YouTube in October because all of the commercials it shows me are scary movie trailers. And I'm like, come on, let me skip, let me skip, let me skip before the jump scare. And it doesn't, and it's the worst. Um, but my wife loves scary movies. And sometimes, she, so she enjoys that idea of like, being scared, and I just don't understand. Sometimes when we talk about the fear of God, we like, we get it twisted and we think that the fear of God is is that kind of like being living in fear of God, right? Living afraid that God is just going to to reach down and smite us. It makes God kind of the boogeyman under your bed, right? But that's not what the fear of God is in scripture. It's not this um, being afraid that God is going to just reach out and reach down and, and just Destroy you. That, that, that's not what the fear of God is. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, um, Moses is, uh, is communing with God. God is, is coming to his people in this cloud with, with lightning. It's this display of God's power. And it says to the Israelites that they trembled with fear. But it was that boogeyman kind of fear, that scary movie kind of fear, that that afraid of God. It says that they were afraid of God. And do you know what Moses says to them? It's incredible. In Exodus 20, he says to the, the Israelites, as they're afraid of God, he says, do not be afraid, for the Lord has come that you may fear him and not trespass against him. So he literally says, hey, don't be afraid. Because God came that you might fear God. What is that? How does that even make sense? Well, it's because the fear of God that we are called to in scripture is not the same as this kind of cowering in the corner kind of fear. So then what is it? What is it? If it's something different, then what is it? Sometimes I've heard it described as this. Maybe you've heard this as well. The fear of God isn't like our fear of the monster under our bed. The fear of God is like the fear that you have at the edge of a cliff, or it's the, the fear that you have by a waterfall. Something I've often heard. How many of you guys have ever been in a place, maybe like Niagara Falls, or maybe Yosemite, something like that, where you've been next to like a a big waterfall? You've been standing there next to a big waterfall, and you see the water coming down, right? And you can't hear anything because of the sound of the water crashing over the the cliff and onto the rocks, and the the mist is spraying in your face, and there is a sense of incredible power in that waterfall, right? You're not afraid that the waterfall is going to reach out and pull you in, but at the same time, you're not going to go for a little swim, right? Right? because you respect the power of the waterfall. In you, there is a sense of awe and wonder at the overwhelming power of the thing that you're looking at. And and sometimes I've heard that kind of used as as an idea of what this fear of God looks like, right? It's kind of an awe and a wonderment in, in the face of God's power. And that's part of it, absolutely. But that's actually not the full picture. Fear of God is more than just our awe before an incredible display of of power. That's part of it, but there's more to it. Look at Psalm 130. In Psalm 130, the psalmist here gives us some real insight into what the fear of God is, what the fear of God looks like. Psalmist writes this in Psalm 130. He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And listen to this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This is what we talked about. Last night, as we talked about yesterday, if God were to keep track of our iniquities, if he were to to mark all of our sins, then who could stand up to that judgment? The answer, of course, is no one. So the psalmist is, is begging for God's forgiveness here. Hear my cries for mercy. God, if you hold my sins against me, I am doomed. But then listen to what he says next in verse four. He says, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may Be feared. Think about that for a second. When we think about the fear of God, what is it that we think drives the fear of God? His power, His majesty, His glory, His might, His wrath, His judgment, His justice. And all of that is true. But here in Psalm 130, what does He say drives the fear of God? God's forgiveness. His forgiveness. And as he goes on, you see this psalmist, the one who's writing the psalm, you see his love and his longing and his affection for God. Listen to this. It says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. This is a picture of someone who loves God, who longs to be with God and that longing for God is tied directly to his fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, yes, on one hand, it is standing in awe of the might and the power of God as we would before a waterfall, but it's also a longing and a love for God that is born of the forgiveness that he's shown us, that we are longing for God the way that the watchman longs for the morning, the the way that we long for a loved one that we miss dearly, that we want to see them and know them and throw our arms around them. So what is the fear of God then? The fear of God begins with God's grace and his forgiveness and his love shown towards us. That's what we talked about last night. Many of you came to a knowledge of God's love and his forgiveness and his grace for the first time last night. And that is where the fear of the Lord begins. But it grows and it develops. And the fear of the Lord is ultimately, it is an understanding and an appreciation and a love of God's goodness and God's greatness. Understanding, appreciation, and love of God's greatness and his goodness. Now, you and I, when we talk and kind of normal ways we use good and great as basically the same thing, right? Like good is good and great is a little bit gooder, right? That's how we use those words. But when we talk about God's goodness and greatness, we're actually talking about two very different things that are both true of our God. So God's greatness speaks of his majesty, of his bigness, of his power, of his eternality. The idea that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, that he rules and reigns over everything that is. That he is more majestic and more powerful and more holy and more righteous and more awesome than you have ever imagined. That's what we mean when we say God's greatness. But when we say God's goodness, we mean that he's not just the Alpha and the Omega, but he's also the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's a God who knows you and who loves you. A God God who knows his people, who calls them by name, who numbers the hairs on their head, who knows everything about them and he loves them so much that he died for them that he might forgive them a God of might and mercy and power, but also a God of love, a God of grace. So the fear of the Lord is an understanding, a knowledge, a love of both of those things. Not just His power, but also His mercy. Not just His Justice, but also His grace. When we understand those things, when we study those things, when we come to a deeper knowledge and love of those things, we grow in the fear of the Lord, an appreciation of Him for who He really, truly is. It's one of the key purposes of our lives is to grow in that fear of God, in a knowledge and understanding and appreciation of who he is in his goodness and in his greatness. So that's our first task, but then what's our second? Well, second's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Obey his commandments. Obey his commandments. And here's the thing, these two things are not divorced from each other. They're not separate from each other. They are tied closely in together because keeping God's commandments is something that flows out of a fear of God. And I don't mean that in that sense of the boogeyman fear, right? I don't mean that we keep God's commandments because we're afraid of what he's going to do to us if we don't keep his commandments. What I mean is that we keep God's commandments because we understand and appreciate who he is and how big and powerful and holy and righteous and loving and gracious he is, and that motivates us, that animates us, that drives us to obey him. Jesus says it simply and clearly in John chapter 14 when he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There are no ifs, ands, or buts in that. He doesn't say, if you love me, then you might obey my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments if you agree with them. He doesn't say, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments as long as they already fit your current lifestyle. No, he says, if you love me, if you have a fear of God, a love and an appreciation for who God is as he is, if that is true of you, then you will keep my commandments. These two big purposes of our life, they are. Are tied together one the fear of God leads to the other obedience to his commandments if we fear him it will result in faithfulness to his word and as we grow in the knowledge and love and fear of God we will also grow in Christ likeness We will grow in Christ-likeness. We will grow to be more and more and more like Jesus. This is a process we sometimes refer to as sanctification. Justification is being made right before God in a legal sense. That's having our, our sins wiped away and the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. That's what happens when we put our faith and our trust in him as many of you did last night. But sanctification is a process. Sanctification is the process of growth that begins when we're justified and put our our faith and trust in Jesus, but it continues all through our life under the sun. Sanctification is the process through which, by which the Spirit of God living in us makes us more and more and more like Jesus as we grow in the fear of God. But here's the thing. Sanctification, just like justification, scripture tells us it is a work of God. It's not that we dig down really deep and try really hard to be sanctified. We don't go, I'm going to be more Christ-like and just kind of do it on our own effort. No. It's the spirit of God living in us and working through us by which we become more and more like Christ. But it's not something that happens automatically. Because throughout scripture, what you see is this idea that our sanctification, our growing in Christ-likeness, our growing in obedience to God's commandments, this happens in cooperation. It happens in concert between our spirit and the spirit of God living in us. A metaphor that the Bible uses frequently to talk about this kind of idea is the metaphor of a tree, A tree and its fruits, right? And maybe most famously, we talk about the the fruit of the Spirit. The result of the Spirit of God living in us grows in us, results in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Results in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and in our character. That's what we're talking about here, right? In this metaphor, you're the tree, And you're planted in the soil of the fear of God. And the fruit in your life, the result in your life is obedience to God's commandments. Now, here's the thing about a fruit tree. A fruit tree doesn't grow fruit by going, I'm going to try really hard to grow fruit. I'm going to tense all of my muscles because trees don't have muscles. They're they're trees, biology. Anyway, the tree doesn't go, I'm going to... Push out some fruit right now, right? And go, and then there's the fruit. No. A tree grows fruit because of what it is. And because it's planted in good soil. So if you're planted in the, the soil of the fear of God, you'll grow fruit. But there's something missing from that equation, isn't there? Because if a tree's in good soil... There's still other things that it needs. It needs water. It needs sunlight. Right? If you put a tree, a little sapling, in a pot with the best soil there is, and you put it in a closet and you close the door, you can't come back in a year's time and expect to be picking apples. It's not going to work. The tree's going to wither, it's going to die, it's not going to grow any fruit no matter how good the soil is. And so, what does it need? It needs all these other things. It needs water. It needs sunlight. And our walk with the Lord is much the same way. See, in order to obey God, it starts with that soil of the fear of the Lord, of knowing and loving and appreciating His goodness and His greatness. And that fear will naturally bring about Fruit. The Spirit of God will naturally bring about fruit in our lives, but we need to be watered as well. And what does that look like? How are we watered? In in His mercy and His grace, God has set up for us things we might call the means of grace meaning that our growing in Christ-likeness is not based on our own effort. It's based on God working in and through us to produce that fruit. But we need to make sure we're being watered by the means of grace. And so what are those things? Well, Scripture sets up many of them, ways that we are to grow in Christ's likeness to make sure that the tree of our life is being watered. But I'm gonna give you just three this morning. three are this. First, if we want to be watered and to grow the fruit of obedience to God, then we need to be watered with the word of God. The word of God. We cannot obey God's commandments if we don't know what they are. We cannot follow God's voice if we haven't heard his words, if we haven't listened. And so, This might sound trite to some of you. Maybe you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. The the pastor guy's telling me to read my Bible. I know, I know I'm supposed to. Because the reason people tell you that over and over and over again is because it's the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is to fear God and to obey his commandments. And if you don't spend time in his word, you cannot do that you can't do it well you can't do it at all if God's word is not a part of your life then you will not live a life of meaning a life of purpose you will not live a life of fulfillment because your meaning and purpose and fulfillment is found in obedience to him and fearing him and that's what the word gives us you need this watering your life. What does the Bible say about itself in 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16? It says that the word of God is breathed out by God. That every word in this book is the very word of God. That he spoke it into existence. He used human writers to write it and all these sorts of things. It's been translated, all those things. But still, this is God's word. It is true, and more than just being true, it is truth itself, and we desperately need it. You desperately need it. And Psalm 119 makes this very explicit when he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You need to hide God's word in your heart. If you want to grow in obedience to his commandments, then you need to start by hiding it in your heart, by reading, by studying, by reflecting on his word. And I know that can be hard. I know that can be difficult. I know it can feel like a, like a slog. I know it can, it can feel like it's just so hard to get into it, and I read it, and I don't understand it. And... It takes some discipline, guys. It, it takes some effort. But you know something? It takes less effort now for you than it ever has for anyone else in history to read God's word and to hide God's word in your heart. Because every one of you, just about... You have a little rectangle in your pocket that can very easily and freely have God's word on it anywhere you go. And I know some of you don't like to read, and that's fine, because you know what? The Bible app has audio, and you can hit the play button, and you can listen. Guys, this isn't some optional extra. Spending time in God's word is not some extra thing that like the super-Christians do. This is the whole duty of man, to fear God and to obey his commandments. You cannot do that if you do not know his commandments because you have not read his word. This isn't the extra credit for Sunday school, all right? This is the basis of the foundation of our faith found in his word, this is where you find meaning and purpose. You just need to open it up and you need to read. But that's not the only means of grace that God has given us. That's not the only water and sunshine that our tree needs in order to grow that fruit of obedience. you are spending time in the word of God, but scripture also tells us that we need to spend time in communion with God through prayer. Spend time in communion with God through prayer. Guys, we have an absolutely incredible privilege that we take so much for granted. You and I have a direct line of access to the king of the universe. Scripture says that because Jesus died and he rose again for us, because we put our faith and trust in Him, we are adopted into the family of God, and we can call out to God, Abba, Father, just as He does, that we can go directly to the throne of the King of the universe in prayer, that we can tell Him what our struggles are, what our hopes are, that we, can, that we can pray to him and we can sit in his presence, we can approach his throne on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that is an incredible privilege and it's something that every one of us needs to be able to commune with the God of heaven and earth through prayer, to read his word and also to communicate with him in prayer. But that's not all either. We have the word of God. We have communion with God. And we also need to spend time with the people of God as a part of the family of God. Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse 12, it says this, take care, brothers, let there be any, let there be lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. What does that mean? It means to encourage one another, to, to, to challenge one another, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, if our purpose of life is found in fearing God and obeying his commandments, what we need to realize is that we cannot do that on our own. It's the spirit of God living in us that drives us to do that. But even at that, we need the people of God around us in order to do that well. We need to encourage and exhort and spur one another on to love and good works, If you're spending time in the word of God, you're spending time in prayer to God, but you never spend time with the people of God, you are not going to grow the fruit of obedience that we're called to. You need to spend time with people who love Christ and who point you towards Christ. And did you hear what he said there? He said you need to encourage and exhort one another every day as long as it is called Sunday, right? No. No, he said every day as long as it is called today. You need to be in constant fellowship with other believers because sin is deceitful, because sin is wicked. And you need other people around you to say, dude, don't go towards the light because that thing's going to zap you. And you need it every single day. For some of you maybe, you, maybe you're a part of the youth group. Maybe you attend on occasion. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but you never go to church. You just come to camp because it's fun. Guys, you're starving yourself. You're, you're, a, you're, you're a tree that's not being watered. You need to be in fellowship with the body of Christ and not just your youth group. You need to be in in a church with people who are older than you and younger than you, with the the saints of God who gather to sing his praise and open his word. You desperately need that if you're going to grow in obedience and grow in the fear of the Lord. You know, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church every Sunday and Wednesday, and I grew up coming to camp every summer, and then when I got into junior high and high school, I came every winter, and, uh, and I remember how impactful camp was on me. We often talk about the, the camp high, right? We talk about how when you're here at camp, you just feel on fire for Jesus, right? You feel like you're ready to to go home and to take on the world and to start living that life that you always knew you should be living. And I remember in my own life when I was in high school and, and, and struggling with habitual sin and I would go to camp and all of a sudden my sin looked so conquerable. I looked at these things, these traps that I kept falling into, and I went, I, the power of Christ in me, the power of, of the Spirit of God in me, I can overcome that thing by the power of God. I was so encouraged. And then I would go home, and I would be on that high for a day or a week or maybe a month, and it would fizzle out. And I would find myself right back in the same old ruts, right back in the same old sin, seeking meaning in the same old things that never had anything lasting to offer. But why did those things seem so obvious and so easy and so simple and so conquerable up at camp? What was it about camp that made that something that seems so so attainable, that righteousness so easy, so desirable. It's not a secret. There's no magic to it. It's not the, the elevation that puts you closer to heaven. It's not the beauty of nature around us. It's none of those things. You know what it is? When you're here at camp, Your tree is watered. When you're here at camp, you are immersed in the means of grace. You come up, and while you're on this hill, you spend every moment with the people of God with people who who love Jesus and are pointing you towards Jesus and challenging you and exhorting you and encouraging you. You spend time in conversations and cabin discussions, confessing your sin and praying for one another. You spend time in prayer going before the throne of grace, before the throne of God and and lifting up your, your difficulties and your problems and your sins to him and asking for his forgiveness and asking for his guidance and asking for his spirit and asking for his power. You spend time sitting under the teacher of the word of God time reading it yourself in, in quiet times you spend time opening it up in, in groups and in your discussions and with your counselor when you're here you are immersed in the means of grace you're reading his word you're going before his throne in prayer and you're spending time among his people encouraging one another and spurring one another on to love and good works that's where the camp high comes from Doesn't have to end here. You can encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. You can open God's word every day. You can spend time in prayer every day. And the fear of God will grow in your life and in your heart, and obedience to God will become truer and deeper and more robust and more consistent, and you will grow in Christ-likeness. And as you grow in those things, the fear of God and obedience to his word, you'll grow in meaning and purpose, because that's what gives this life under the sun, meaning and purpose. It is walking through life committed to living life in the service of the glory of the God who made us by and through and to himself. Our meaning and our purpose comes by growing in the knowledge and the love and the fear of God in his goodness and his greatness. It comes by walking in an ever-increasing obedience to his commands by the power of his spirit as we immerse ourselves in the means of grace that he has set up for us. None of us know how long we have on this earth. None of us know how long we have here under the sun the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 77 years, which means you've got about 60 left. Maybe. Or maybe you have 50. Maybe 30. Maybe 10. Maybe you never make it down the mountain. Guys, this life It's fragile, it's not permanent, it's vanity. It's a breath in the wind. It is nothing but a vapor and you don't know how long you have. You make all kinds of plans about what you're gonna do with your life and and that's fine. You're at an age and a time when you should be thinking about the future. You should be thinking about what you're going to do, but regardless, regardless of where this life will take you, regardless of of who you're going to marry or what you're going to do for work or where you're going to go to college or any of those things, Regardless of any of those details, there's one thing that you can know for sure. You can't know how long you have. You can't know what your life is going to look like. But you can know this for sure. You can know for absolute certainty. You can know your purpose. What is your purpose? It is to fear God and to obey his commandments and if you do that if you commit yourself to that purpose if you spend your life in service of that purpose fearing god and obeying his commandments then no matter what other no matter what those other details turn out to be no matter how long you have no matter how how you spend it no matter where you live or or what your life ends up looking like if you commit yourself to fearing God, and to keeping his commandments, no matter how those other details turn out, you can be sure that your life will be one of eternal significance and that your life here, now, under the sun, will be more than mere vanity. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can find purpose and meaning, true, ultimate, real, lasting purpose and meaning in you. God, I pray that every one of us in this room, that we would commit ourselves to growing in the fear, the knowledge, the appreciation, the love of you, and in obedience to your word, obedience to your commandments. Father, please help us in this new year as we go back home, as we go down the mountain, please help us to commit ourselves to the means of grace, to spend time in your word, to spend time with your people, spend time in prayer in order that we might grow in both the fear and knowledge and love of you, but also in obedience to you and in the purpose and the meaning that comes from that. God, I pray that not a life in this room would be wasted on the trivial pursuits of life under the sun. That no one here would waste their short time on this earth away by simply seeking after the things of this world, but that we would, every one of us, be committed to the purpose that we were created for, to glorify you through fear and through obedience. Father, we love you. We thank you for this weekend. We thank you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.